Hey, this is Carl Franklin. You're listening to the first ever live edition of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers. This show is recorded live on January 30th, 2004. And yes, you're not listening to the actual show right now, but you will be in a second. See, what happened was we started recording just a little bit late, and we missed a little bit of the intro and where I started introducing Rory and talking to him. But fortunately, it was only like a minute, and you didn't miss anything. So let's join the show already in progress, shall we? Yeah, and uh, it was a long day yesterday for you, too. Obviously, we're here tweaking things until <laughs> right. wee hours of the morning. And got up at 4 o'clock in the morning and came out and did the whole flying thing, watched the whole <laughs> pet in the luggage thing, wondering what was going on with that. I was sitting next to somebody on the plane who, who brought his dog on board, which I thought was interesting. Turns out that's perfectly legal. So it was it was an interesting day. I, I saw a picture of that on your blog, a little puppy stick. You took <laughs> a, a picture of the guy. puppy head, yeah, sticking out of the suitcase. <clears throat> I did not expect to see that. Is that a puppy in your pocket, or are you just happy to see <laughs> it? I suppose. Yeah. So what do you think of our little town here? It's the first time you've been out this way? or I had been to some of the lower eastern coast. I had been to Washington, D.C., and been to Florida a little bit, but I had never seen New England before, and it's completely unlike anything I've ever seen. I felt like I was getting off on, in a totally different country. It did not feel like what, what I'm used to, because the west coast is just sort of little cities that are stitched together by Walmarts. Right. You know, every every city is basically just a mini mall, and uh, the social cultural mecca is usually like the Mervins or something. You know, that's where people congregate. That's that's the third place for people on the West Coast. But here it's completely different. You have low brick buildings and, well, I guess in your town, sub bases. And well, yeah, we build submarines <laughs> out here, or we used to anyway. We used to build them at a f- more frantic clip than we do now. That's for sure. Yeah. But uh, so, what else struck you odd about New London? Well, the first thing is that the buildings are just not buildings you'd see on the West Coast. The layout of the town isn't the same thing as you see on the West Coast. A guy that I work with was telling me about New England before he came out, and he said, well, here's the way it works. Basically, a bunch of guys moved there a long time ago, and they all built farms, and when they made roads, it was just to have a wagon go between one farm and another. Right. And eventually, they said, well, i got to have my little wagon road here, so we're going to build a road here. We're going to have an actual (laughs) road here. And so you have all these little curving, winding roads that don't seem to have been laid out to any particular grid. Right, they're horse paths. Yeah, very different. And the city itself, the only place I've ever seen anything like this has been in model train sets. <laughs> you know, when, when I was a little kid, you had the model train set, and it had the nice little brick buildings and the post office and the this office. So you've never seen a real office. barn before? I had seen barnish things. Barnish I had seen houses that might have been fashioned after okay. you know, the image of a farm just for kicks. <laughs> but I've never seen a farm with farm animals. Um, maybe you might milk things there. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I'd never seen that before. So Wow. And can, I, can I share please. one New England experience I had? Yeah, please. Okay, for the, past, for the 26 years I've been on this planet, I've wondered about this myth of helping old ladies across the street. I mm-hmm. had never, ever done this, not because I didn't want to. I mean... Lord right. knows I want to do yeah. that. You know, I live for that sort of thing. Right. But uh, today, when I was leaving uh, a little New London coffee shop mm-hmm. with my New London latte in hand, uh-huh. with my hands freezing in the New London wind, uh, <laughs> this very old lady stepped out of a car and she just said, hey, Sonny, can you come over here and help me get up on that curb? And awesome. I just couldn't believe it. So I helped an old lady onto the curb today. You won your merit badge. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I got to take take my part and... What seemed to me to be a real integral part of American culture that I never got to do, that whole helping old ladies across the street. So I did it. I mean, I, I've, I've done it all now. So you have a, your fans want to know. I, I mean, are you here to stay? 
I'm definitely enjoying the experience so far. I'm thinking I would at least like to do a New England experience tour. Thing. Right. For a while. Yeah, for a while. And cool. just have a good time. I mean, this has been really fun. It's a very different... Things are just different out here. Yeah, and, that's uh, true. And I could really use the change of pace. <clears throat> I love Portland, but, you know, I mean, I've been to Walmart. So I, you know, <laughs> I know when the sales are. I, I know what's going on. So what's the oldest house in your neighborhood? Oh, 1982. <laughs> <laughs> just add water. Boom. These things just grow. No, it's incredible. Most Portland housing is nothing but these mail-order homes. It's like yeah. you get the catalog, and you're supposed to check off what light fixture you want and what mailbox you want and uh, what pathway you want, and then it just grows there. It just shows up. They bring it in on a trailer and drop it off. Well, lest we be accused of not talking about (laughs) .NET on a .NET rock show, um, which has been known to happen, let's let's start talking about databases. And uh, I know I've had some crazy experiences with databases. Maybe a caller out there has uh, had an experience with the worst database they've ever seen. Uh, If you're out there and you have Skype, uh, go to our uh, www.franklins.net slash call.netrocks page if you have a story to share with us about the worst database that you've ever worked on. Uh, I'd love to hear. I know I've got some stories. I don't know if you do, but uh, I, I, I have seen uh, databases designed by somebody who had no idea of the word relational. <laughs> <clears throat> and uh, to the other extreme, I have seen databases. I've worked on databases where the the guy in charge, the head geek uh, in charge of the database design, went to some seminar or a normalization, you know, back in the uh, 90s, early 90s or late 90s. I can't remember when. Back when that was a big deal. and Oh, everything has to be completely normalized. You know, then we found out that we were just trying to do some simple queries with 19 joins in it, in it you know, <laughs> chugging along, and they were wondering why it was so What's slow. <laughs> this is SQL Server, after all, and the customers were complaining. So it just, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. but uh, I'd like to, know if, uh, like to know if anybody else has had any experiences. Um, I don't know. What, have you had any? Oh, I mean, every, every nerd has war stories about, yeah. about databases. I've actually been pretty lucky in the sense that my main clients so far have had some really good people, at least on the data end, mm-hmm. um, doing a lot of good work. So mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of good database design, but what I've seen that has scared me has been, for example, the means of accessing that database. Yeah, okay. Uh, one company <laughs> I, I've done a lot of work for, uh, it's Utility. And being Utility, you can have several of their accounts around town. You know, mm-hmm. you've got like 10 houses, I don't know. I mean, I do, of course. And you've got 10 houses and you've got 10 different utility accounts. Um, but you right. want to access them all at the same time on the website. Right. So you have one login for those 10 accounts. And what happens when you're logging in is you're presented with a list of those different accounts, like the address of the house that is being serviced by that account, maybe mm-hmm. some other you know, metadata. That's a popular word nowadays. Right, right. Um, Going to be even more popular <laughs> soon. Right? And uh, the problem is the query was just taking forever. Right. It was, it, all it was bringing back was an address and maybe like... Uh, a phone number or something. It was two little pieces of data. And so you've got maybe five, some people do have, you know, like five or six houses. I don't know what they're doing with them, right. but they do. And the query would just take all day. And yeah. I go in and I look at the code and it's because anytime uh, account data was being pulled back, 
every single field, you know, from miles around was being pulled back off, hmm. off the database. Wow. So you get back, you know, like 40 fields right. for nothing, <laughs> for two for two little guys there, and nothing was optimized. It was all this dynamic SQL right, that was right. being built from module-level variables just being strung together, yeah. seemingly at random. And, you know, it's like, it's like somebody who says, you know, I'm having relationship problems. I got six girlfriends. I don't know what the problem is. You know, they all seem to be mad at each other. What's going on here? Well, the problem is you're just doing it wrong. So Right, right. That was something. That's well, uh, and we'll have more to say about that, I'm sure, when Bill and Peter get on. Um, um, so let me explain the format of the show. The format is we're going to be talking with Bill Vaughn and Peter Blackburn about SQL reporting services in just a few minutes. <clears throat> and then we're going to have a sort of a – we'll take some callers. We'll give away some prizes. We're going to have an intermission, a musical interlude over the hour. And then Dan Appleman will be on talking about uh, all the issues that he's been dealing with lately in .NET and what's on his mind. He's always, always interesting to talk to. Again, we'll take some calls and we'll, we'll, um, we'll have some contests. By the way, Rory, the, uh, the random uh, class name of the day is system.net.dns. Okay, cool. Okay. And uh, then uh, we'll wrap it up around you know, two hours from now or almost two hours from now. It uh, looks like we don't have a caller, so we're just going to go ahead and introduce uh, Bill Vaughn and Peter Blackburn, unless there's a caller on the line. Hello? Yes, I'm here. Hey, you're there. Hey, Bill. We Good have morning. communication. Awesome. Are you sure this How are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very funny. Sometimes these things don't work as well as you think. Yeah, very funny. Isn't technology wonderful? So how are you? Are, uh, Peter, are you there too? I'm here. All right, guys. So, uh, what about you, Bill? I mean, you must have seen the worst of any of us. Oh, I've, I've seen, I've seen a lot of challenge databases. Um, uh, some <laughs> clear back in the EDS days and uh, on the mainframes, and databases that were copied um, from card systems straight to tape systems. In other words, they they learned how to do um, the original. Databases that were used to track the the accidents at the Department of Public Safety in the huh. in the sixties and seventies were all done with with paper with cards hmm. with card punch machines, and when they got their three hundred and sixty um, computer, they just simply copied all the cards over to tape and did everything mechanically without everything was just a, a table scan. <laughs> so it was a a hard. A hard conversion there. Oh, it was really tough conversion, and they only learned about twelve instructions in the in the assembly language that they were using to write the stuff in, and the rest of it was macros. And it, <laughs> no. it was it was really pretty pitiful. I was the first college trained guy to show up at uh, that had actually had a computer science degree that showed up at the uh, Department of Public Safety. Wow! Uh, at that time. And uh, I Jeez. said, well, I'd kind of like to use a COBOL compiler for this particular business application. And I said, a, a, a what? What, what <laughs> thing? <laughs> oh, so it's, um, it's been a challenge. Well, anyway, yeah, I, uh, no, go ahead. Well, lately we've seen an awful lot of databases that were, that were produced by what we're now calling para-developers. Uh, developers <laughs> that have, uh, well, you know, you have... Quasi-developers. Well, these people are, are uh, a doctor or a lawyer or oh, yeah. uh, those kinds of guys yeah. that have uh, a job that they're doing very well at, but that also gives that makes them think that they can create a database. And they create a database that stores patient information yeah. or stores something extremely critical, and they'll dump it on an access database because it's, quote, free. 
and <laughs> they don't understand the, the remotest aspects of relational databases. Yeah. And they see all the examples in the books that show, the first thing they show is log in with the SA password, uh, the SA with a password, right. and do a select star from customers. I think every time you've been on the show, you've, you've, you've said how much this is evil. And every time I'm in my class, you know, and, and I do an example of uh, that involves select star from anything, I, I always disclaim it heavily and say, I look up to the sky and say, sorry, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's evil on a, in, a, in a number of ways. For one thing, by adding this little, this little tidbit in, in your classes, you're, it's like introducing them to crack. Boy, it's easy, awfully easy right. to do this. <laughs> well, that's why, that's why the disclaimer, you know, I yeah. say, look, you know, this is, we don't have time to go into the intricate details of, of things and security and, and create crazy wear clauses and stuff. So, you know, for the sake of this class, but don't do this at home. Oh, always, oh good. Always disclaim it. Anyway, you know, the problem is that when they put those select star queries in production, uh, it seems to work fine until somebody adds another column and that column doesn't show up in their program or it does show up someplace that didn't expect it. The grid now has an extra column or they add a blob right. and suddenly their performance goes into the toilet and they don't understand why. So it can be, it can be pretty insidious. Well, um, let's talk about SQL reporting services. That's what everybody's here to talk about. And, uh, I understand that you and Peter both have been working quite a bit with this thing that uh, is in beta now. So let's start with... Has it been released? Yeah, Yeah. on the 27th. Oh, great. Hmm. Cool. Where was I? Um, Why doesn't one of you uh, explain what it is for the very... Go ahead. For the absolute beginner. I'd say it's about the coolest reporting engine that there is for uh, .NET. Okay. That is... Don't hold back, Peter. No, okay. It's, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's got a designer that's uh, about as easy to use as the Microsoft Access designer. And uh, it's just cool. That's the easiest way to describe it. You can report off any database at all. You could even report off the serial port if you wanted to build your own .NET data provider to interrogate your serial port. Hmm. Okay. So obviously it's it's requires SQL Server, but it doesn't require SQL Server as a data source, right? Is that right? That is it, re- it requires SQL Server 2000 okay. for the catalog database that, that the reporting services engine uses. Mm. And that can be on, a, on one machine. And reporting services itself is, they told us not to say it's an ASP application or ASP.NET application. It's really implemented as web services. But it's going to be, uh, it, it runs under IIS. Hmm. So okay. you can have, IIS server can be uh, where the engine runs, the reporting uh, server engine runs, and the database can be on another. But all of them can be on the same system. So your developer uh, would typically um, already have, they're running XP or SQL Server, uh, or Windows 2000 or Windows uh, 2000, uh, Windows Server 2003. And install the whole Megillah on a single system, and that's typically what a developer is going to do. Okay, but that's not what's recommended, or? Well, actually, there any one of these will work. There are limitations on XP. Um, the number of connections that IIS can support on XP to, by default is either five or ten, depending on whether it's uh, XP Home, which is 
we don't recommend. Right. Or XP itself, XP Pro, supports 10 connections. But we've got a trick in the book that we're going to show you that shows you how to up that to 40. Okay. Which is kind of a cool little trick. Is it legal? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Pseudo-documented. All right. And uh, you don't, it's not something you want to lay on us now? Um, or you want them to buy the book to find out? I think it's kind of a buy the book kind of thing. That's it's fair enough. Really value-added things. But it is, uh, it's not that hard to do if you understand nuclear medicine and rocket science. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Enough said. So um, what, are, what are some of the great features that people can look forward to in, in SQL reporting services? Uh, integration with Visual Studio, obviously. Uh. Well, yeah, it's the designer um, is a drop-in that goes into Visual Studio. And um, it's, it's not that hard to use. It turns out, though, that there's a number of other designers done by third parties because reporting services uses RDL. Um, and this is a standard... You explain what RDL is, Bill. Why don't you explain what RDL is, Peter? Okay. <laughs> RDL is a new uh, data format for describing reports. It's an XML data format. And uh, as Bill was saying, there are a few um, third parties around that have come up with their own designers and uh, some of them are web form integrated so that you could actually go to a website and design a report and then have that deployed to uh, your reporting server. So is that, does IDL stand for insane database language or what does that no, stand it's, for? No, it's RDL. Oh, RDL. Report. 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 Data, report. data language, I would report. Data it's RDL. Ah, gotcha. You're asking about some of the other cool features. I mean, some of the uh, things which I think is really cool is the ability to render a report as HTML or to then decide, no, I don't fancy this report coming back as HTML. I want to have this report as a PDF file. And okay. you can have the Adobe Acrobat just launch when you hit the link. Well, a couple of the popular uh, products on the market do that already, right? Right. Uh -huh. um, exporting directly into Excel. Um, I that's think cool. there's going to be an RTF renderer that's going to be built fairly soon. But you can create your own renderers, can't you? You can, although you know you kind of need to be a rocket scientist to do that. It's <laughs> one of the it's a particularly difficult thing to uh, to get sorted, but it can certainly be done. So if you've got some sort of a strange device that you want to send your reports to, a WAP phone. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I've got a uh, a USB based uh, shredder now that I'm going to try to build a report. <laughs> okay, what do you this do with a USB the shredder? Department, so they, you know, they immediately shred documents right after they come out of the system. So does it read the documents before it shreds them and send it no, back to actually the computer? No, actually, it's highly confident. It uses SSL <laughs> to make sure they're encrypted first. Ah, okay. I Which brings why. up another point. Yeah. Um, one of the issues that we are emphasizing in the book, and Peter is, uh, he's really excited about this. Uh, he's um, passionate about uh, security. Right. It turns out that if you uncheck one of the boxes in the installation dialog in the setup, it says don't use SSL, hmm. a number of bad things are going to happen to you. Hmm. Uh, most of these are job-threatening because what happens is since the report engine is running on IS, all of the user credentials that you'd be using will, in fact, be broadcast in open text. And all your corporate data will be broadcast in open text that any high school kid with a, snoop, with a, you know, a, uh, 
a web browser, or not a browser, but a uh, packet sniffer. Packet right. sniffer will be able to see your confidential data. That's not this, good. Yeah, that's not good. This is bad. This is job threatening. But it turns out that if you leave that SSL checkbox enabled, it means that you're going to have to install an SSL certificate on your IIS server, which is not hard to do. We show exactly how to do that in the book in great detail. Which uh, do you do? You generate your own certificates, or we talk about that. There's a number of ways to do it. You can go out and get a store bought certificate and pay the five hundred bucks a year. Actually, I can get them for thirty bucks. Thirty bucks. Oh, yeah. Well, we're selling them for fifteen ninety five. Yeah, that's that's okay. comparable. No, no, no. I'm, there's a there's an actual place I can't remember. I think it's called Instant SSL or something, and uh, it's a it's a license certificate that the browser recognizes and uh, everybody's happy, just like Verizon. Peter, you're the expert here. What, what do you think about that? I think that's great. Yeah, we should uh, certainly get that URL. We're using one now, actually, on our website. Instant SSL. InstantSSL.com. You learn something new every day. That's cool. Um, but once you enable SSL, it means that the, the packets going up and down the wire are, in fact, encrypted. And uh, only the, um, the NSA is going to be able to read those packets, and they're off busy looking at other people's stuff. So yeah, they don't, they don't care about your customers. They so. don't care about Right, right. Interesting. Well, uh, uh, while we take this pause here, I'd just like to uh, ask the listeners to uh, to get on that web page and... Go to our main page, our .NET Rocks page, if you want to link to it, or go to www.franklins.net slash call.netrocks, one word. You can fill out a form and, uh, and submit a question, and we'll uh, Skype you back and, pull, and patch you in. So uh, anyway, so, so some of the other things that separate this from obviously the thing that's on everybody's mind <clears throat> is what does this mean for Crystal Reports, or now it's called object documents or whatever it's called. What is it called now? Who who bought it? Crystal Reports? Don't know. Yeah, somebody just bought the company, I think. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't looked at Crystal Reports. In it, a wasn't while. The, yeah. it wasn't the Acme Stormdoor company, was it? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Uh, I, okay, we'll get there. And also, um, uh, one of our sponsors, Data Dynamics, has a, has a good report writer, ActiveReports.net, which we've been plugging pretty much. And uh, actually, after a break, <clears throat> I... Uh, I think we're going to have a guy from uh, Data Dynamics on to sort of discuss, you know, their position on it and uh, how they can differentiate themselves and all that stuff. How, what's the price of of this thing? It's, it's really, really pretty expensive. Okay. Um, hmm. The report writer add-on is uh, free. <laughs> um, but you have to have a SQL Server t- uh, 2000 okay. license. Yeah. And that means... And you need Visual Studio as well, Bill. Uh, okay. And you need Visual Studio 2003 if you want to use the report writer, if okay. you're designer, unless you have your own designer. So I you think. need SQL 2000, which isn't cheap in production. You need... Oh, you standard need... edition. It won't work with MSD or personal. Oh, oh okay. We'll work with standard edition. Okay. <clears throat> we priced standard on Amazon or on the on the on on Google, and it was it varied in price so much. Uh, some of the places out in Hong Kong were selling it for 12 or $15. Okay, well, <laughs> there was a guy here in Redmond that was selling them cheap, but I understand he's now going, going to jail. Um, right. But it's okay. about $1,600, something like that. Oh. But I'm not, uh, I'm not an expert of the price. But he's not in jail yet, so you can still get a good deal on that. Yes, I think so. I think he still had some extra. He, they said he's going to have to pay back $4 million, so maybe he needs to make some extra money. <laughs> so. 
So yes, okay. it's, fr- it's basically it's it's free for those people who already have SQL Server 2000. So so put on your uh, put on your skeptical hat and tell me what challenges you've you've had uh, with SQL reporting services, if any. Obviously, not everything is 100 percent awesome. Well, we have an issues page in the session that we're going to do at uh, VS Live. Uh, we're going to do a joint session VS Live San Francisco in uh, late March. Okay. And this on this issues page, I think we have uh, four or five things mentioned. Uh, you're going to have to watch out if you're if you're using XP as your development platform, mm-hmm. because you're really going to want to bump up the number of connections. Oh, okay. Uses um, a lot of connections, in other words. Well, each each time you open a page, it uses two. So you're going to be able to open about five pages before things start going south. Okay. And other things happen um, as those page counts you know, get bumped up. And it could, some pages take more than two connections, so uh, it can be ugly. Yeah. Uh, Peter, what are some of the other things we saw? Um, you have to jump through a few hoops if you want to support a stored procedure which returns multiple uh, result sets. Okay. It, that has Such to as? do with you know, uh, taking the fur off of a cat, I think. Is, <laughs> it's kind of tough. And I think one of the other things which we, uh, well, it was actually identified by my wife while she was uh, doing the vacuum cleaning behind me, and I had up uh, one of the examples which are part of uh, reporting services. That's not fair. Your wife is a rocket scientist. <laughs> and, and she said to me, that query's wrong. And uh, then she carried on doing the vacuuming, <laughs> and, and I thought, oh, she, she's she's just having me on here, you know. <laughs> anyway, later, you know, I'm, she, she's feeding me at the table, and uh, she said, did he fix that query? I said, I, I thought you were joking about that. Uh, she said, no, it's wrong. I said, well, what do you mean? She said, come here, let me show you. So she took me back to my terminal, pulled up the sample, and it's one of the drill-down samples, and we talk about this in our book. But as it happens, that when you drag tables onto the designer, and this, this will happen in uh, Visual Studio as well when you're, you're designing your, uh, your queries. Every time you put a table down, any tables that it knows it can potentially reference, it's got a referential integrity link to, it will put the link in there. And it happens that on one of the samples, there is a link between three tables, and that means that far fewer rows are actually being returned than okay. potentially the report designer was intending. Okay. And does it have full support for graphs and charts and Oh yeah. Oh yeah. All lots that and stuff. Lots, lots right. and lots. And it has a, a very cool pivot table, matrix table and hmm. uh, the ordinary table. But the real difference here in the designer, um, access I actually said access is good for something. Access <laughs> Report Designer um, lets you, and this is, uses the same kind of technology, lets you position these controls side by side instead of having just in bands. So now you, you can create a report that looks and works and feels like an ASP page or a Visual Basic program. Hmm. And they can be anywhere on the form. You can have pictures here and, and inserted there or uh, just arrange any way you want. Uh, which is a very, very different to what you used to be able to do in Crystal. Hmm. One of the things we haven't mentioned as well, of course, is the uh, scheduling. Oh, the yeah. Ability, the ability to set up reports, which can take parameters which are specific to individual users, and you can have those reports delivered to your mailbox on whatever schedule that uh, you want to set up. Or you can have it delivered to a file share if you want. 
without, so it has, having to, without having to go off and execute the report each time you want it. Because it has both push and pull deliver, uh, delivery technology. Hmm. Okay. Um, you had a question, Rory? Well, I was actually kind of wondering how all this fit in with, uh, with OLAP, essentially. I remember looking through the marketing data, and I had a hard time figuring out exactly what was going on. You guys are actually doing a good job of, of getting that across to me because it seemed to have been written for the managers. But I remember seeing OLAP mentioned in there. Um, I remember seeing a bunch of different components. It sounded rather familiar, sort of being brought together. I mean, is this does this sound familiar at all? Good question. I, th I think that uh, with OLAP, the best story is going to be in the version that's going to be released for uh, Yukon. So then, and you have to remember hmm. that reporting services, of course, did start out as being intended to be released with Yukon, and it's uh, fantastic that the team have managed to turn it around and, and get a product together for SQL Server 2000. Okay. Which is a product that was basically put to bed. Right. Yeah, that's true. Hmm. Interesting. So what does this mean for the, uh, as we said, what does it mean for Crystal Reports? Give me your unbiased opinion. Well, Crystal has a very loyal following. There's, there's at least seven or eight people that actually like it. <laughs> um, but the people that I talk to at conferences um, are, are really challenged by Crystal. They have trouble connecting and staying connected. Uh, they have trouble building the data sets that are suitable for Crystal. And I've gone through these experiences myself, and I've, I've frankly given up on it. But it's it's a real challenge to use. I, the the reporting services was not only really really easy to install, but it was just drop dead stupid easy to to uh, create reports. Of course, my reports were drop dead stupid, but um, it was a lot easier to build and and create the reasonable reports with uh, a report server. Okay. And I think, uh, you know, and I'm I'm not going to to uh, to bash Crystal in the sense that. Uh, I think the market's going to decide. And True. I think the yeah. developers will find there are certainly some things that Crystal can do that report services can't do, at least they, as they say. Um, but I think the, the developer, the ordinary developer, that just wants to bump out some reports and have them delivered easily, and you know, have, have it work with the system, you know, integrated in with SQL Server, is going to be a lot happier in this case. Well, we have a, a caller via Skype, uh, Paul Sturgill from. Uh Commonwealth uh, Financial Network and Waltham Mass has a question about uh, reports in XML. Paul, are you there? Yeah. How you Hi, doing? Paul. Hey, can you hear? Yep. Um, I've used uh, Crystal Reports and actually reporting packages, and um, they seem to work fine when you work with relational data, but they seem to have struggle a little when you when you want to use XML as a data source. And I was just wondering how the SQL reporting services handles XML. Good question. Peter, you want to handle that one? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> the way in which the architecture is organized with uh, reporting services is that effectively it uses a .NET data provider. Okay. Uh, or it's using the .NET data provider technology. And so if there are particular data sources that you want to consume, you can, and it's fairly easy to create a data provider that, because you don't have to, you do not have to implement a full .NET data provider, you just have to implement a subset of the interfaces which reporting services uses. So if you have got um, an XML data source, you could create an XML data reader in order to, or an XML data provider 
four reporting services, which you can then hook up into uh, the architecture. So you have to write a data provider to get to use XMLs as, as a source? Yeah, at the moment. Hmm. Oh, what about uh, other... There must be data providers for XML out there, like through ODB. Oh, yeah, ODB. I mean, if you, if, if, you, if, you've, if, if you can find an ODBC data driver right. for XML or an OLEDB driver for it or a native .NET data provider, you can certainly uh, okay. utilize that. Okay, cool. Great. Paul, got any other questions? Uh, nope, that's it. Thank you. Cool. What do you think about Crystal's future here, Paul? We've actually moved off of Crystal onto Actuate. Um, okay. So we've kind of left that behind. Is it an RDL uh, editor? Or an RDL format uh, report writer? Crystal reports? No, no, the, the, the Actuate. Um, no, it's... it's, it's in order for you to use them as a... As a, they have their own their own um, proprietary system, so it's it's not RDL. Okay. Okay. Now Thank RDL. You very much. RDL is one of these across the board standards. I mean, it's a standard with a capital S, right? Right. It's not just standard to one small part of the world. It's, it's not something that Bill invented on his own. That's kind of what I meant. Yeah, the lowercase s for standard. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Cool. Uh, well, what else? What else do? What else have you discovered in your? How how much have you done with this? I mean, you've obviously been working with it. What kind of uh, what kind of systems have you developed with it, or what kind well, of reports have you? One made? thing we did was kind of interesting the other day. We were passing back uh, screenshots back and forth because Peter doesn't like the way I do screenshots, um, and I noticed that the report uh, from the sample database that he produced was incorrect in a in a very interesting way when he generated the report at his on his system in the UK, it printed pound signs in for the dollar symbols, oh. which raised an interesting question. Um, gee, uh, what if you send this report to somebody in the UK or in France? Oh, my God, if you sent it to France, what was it? <laughs> anyway, but Careful, he, we have a Frenchman in the room here. So. But we have... Um, <laughs> It raises an interesting question, and it leads clear back to what we think the solution is, is to create either an ANSI standard uh, data type for currency that not only has the, the value and the precision and the scale, but it also has the currency type built into the data type. Hmm. And perhaps, in a far-fetched kind of way, perhaps the conversion rate. So if That's you do move one of these to a different form, um, into a different browser someplace, the code, the report generator says, oh, this is U.S. dollars. He's looking at British pounds. Okay, we need to convert. Question, is the convert value null? Oh, it is. Okay, I'm going to have to go look up a conversion factor right. and stick it in there and convert on the fly. Um and we were thinking about how this could be implemented, and then we started thinking about, gee, is there any uh, SQL Server data type that lets you kind of run some code whenever you execute it? Mm. And it turns out that leads right into Yukon, which is the whole idea behind the Yukon CLR-based uh, user-defined data types. It seems to me that there have been, in the past, attempts to sort of make standard date formats and things like that for, that are localized to your version of Windows. Right, like there's a standard date format. There used to used to be it in any file. Now it's in the registry somewhere. Isn't there a way that you could just utilize that? Tap into that. Yeah, what's what's going on with that thing, Peter? 
me for the moment, but uh, I want to come back if I can on something about uh, this localization issue, right. just so that okay. folks don't think that uh, you can't localize the reports or to understand how the reports are being localized by default. Okay. They actually pick up the browser's locale, mm -hmm. and that's why when it's being rendered here, because I've got my browser set up to display things in uh, English UK rather than English US, that what then happens is it's displaying pound signs. But of course, the part that we'd forgotten to um, address at that point is to, on the controls where we'd put down the currency, we should have also gone and set the language property instead yeah. of it being the default, we should have said, no, this is definitely US English that we want for that particular control we've laid down. I don't know, and, I don't know about you uh, guys, but dates have always been the biggest pain in the ass when dealing with databases. Is I've it? always had problems with dates too, but since I'm married, that's supposed to be a null set. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I think Peter. What, you know, what we're doing, uh, Peter and I, uh, and 99% Peter is sending a lot of this information that we're finding, and we're, we found a number of issues uh, uh, with the reporting services back to the dev team, and we've been working with them for a long time. Um, and many of those things that we've asked for to be fixed have, in fact, been addressed, and they wanted to ship the product, um, and I think we're going to see a number of service packs pop up here uh, in the very short time uh, to address some of these other issues. And the database itself needs to be tuned to set this because the report, sample reports is what we were pulling up. Those really need to be a, a stellar example of what's right to do. And we've encouraged them to make this change in the sample database too. Well, yeah. Hmm. Cool. Um, we're going to, uh, just in a couple of minutes, uh, uh, take a, take a break. But before we do, I'd like to again remind the, the uh, listeners to, uh, go to, if they want to interact with us and possibly win some prizes, to go to www.franklins.net slash call.net rocks. That's one word. And uh, fill out the form with your Skype ID and get Skype ready, and uh, we'll be able to take your call. We so have good go. stuff, too. We got good prizes. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. We, no, I haven't even talked we, about the prizes. You know, tell these people, tease them. You know, well, they'll, we'll they'll, they'll come out. Yeah, that's true. A little something. Well, we're going to start with a little stuff like uh, Halo Combat Evolved. Yeah. Cool. Uh, that's for the PC. We have an Xbox game, uh, Amped 2. Whoops, sorry about that. We have uh, Microsoft Flight Simulator 2004 in the Chrome 50s box. I've got one of those. It's very, very cool. We have some sort of Visual Studio.net lunchbox, isn't this what you That's call That's pretty this cool, thing? yeah. It's, it's, it's a mini tote. Mini tote. I right? mean, I don't know if mini totes exist, but that's what I would call them. And it comes with a Microsoft blue gallon sized coffee mug. We have a Visual Studio.net Enterprise Developer in the box. And that, that's, yeah, that's some good stuff. <clears throat> and finally, towards the end of the show, we'll give away a Windows Server 2003 Enterprise Edition with 25, count them, 25 client access licenses for devices and or users. So there you go. So if that doesn't, that's, that's that doesn't bring them out of the woodwork, what? Go ahead, Is Bill. that tote bag a, uh, the kind that folds in the middle, folds the top, kind of folds off? Uh, it zips all it the way zips. around in the middle. Yeah, I've got one of those, I, um, and it's uh, I use it for my camera bag. It's very cool. Yeah, it it sort of does look like it's, it. It's camera bag size. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, all it's fully sort of... insulated, so it keeps the camera warm. And, yes, it is fully insulated and padded. Yeah. So. Do you need to keep your camera warm? You need to keep your camera at um, basically at, at, at 
stable temperature so it doesn't change quickly. Because hmm. changing quickly means that the uh, you get fog in the lens, you get condensation oh, right. on the on the hmm. on the glass. Okay, guys. Well, just uh, sit tight. We're going to pay the bills and make a few announcements, and uh, we'll be right back after these important messages. Sit tight. Hi, Daddy. we're just enjoying the music here i'd like to give a nice warm thank you and shout out to msdn uh, microsoft is doing some great events in january and february and i'd like to talk to you about those uh, you can get these events online at msdnevents.com uh, these are upcoming events session one asp.net designing and developing a line of business web application uh, so the idea is, for this one is that ASP.NET is a very productive framework, but there are many important design decisions that affect scalability and reliability. And, and so in this case study, they profile a sample ASP.NET app, and after reviewing the application architecture, they dive deep into the code, the application code, and you'll learn how decisions made during the implementation affect the performance and reliability of that application. They're also going to take a look at the work of Microsoft's Prescriptive Architectural Guidance Group. Not only does this group recommend architectural approaches for solutions that use Microsoft technology, they also provide reusable code that can be freely incorporated into your apps. Learn how to build applications more quickly by using pre-built application blocks. And session two is also ASP.NET, but it's best practices and techniques for building secure ASP.NET applications. When the enterprise depends on your application, careful attention to security is essential. We know this. This session provides specific recommendations to follow when developing secure ASP.NET web apps and services and focuses on the details of configuring IIS for security. Understand how to use authentication, authorization, threat modeling, configuration settings, and secure database access to create secure systems. And learn common coding techniques for storing secrets, error handling, data validation, and code access security. And guess what? These events are free. And just go to uh, msdnevents.com and register now. This is great stuff. Just a quick note to mention a couple of things about Franklin's Net. We've got dates for the VB.net Masterclass. Uh, the week of February 16th, March 8th, April 5th, May 3rd, June 7th, and the ASP.NET Masterclass we have scheduled February 9th, March 15th, and May 10th. Also, thought I'd let you know that we've recently reduced the price on all our .NET Rocks junk. Cups, mugs, travel mugs, sweatshirts, frisbees, t-shirts, and all that. We've reduced the price to basically our cost. So we're not using them as a money-making scheme. We're basically just... Uh, just getting them out there and getting them in your hands. 
And uh, Cafe Press is the, the vendor that we use to do that. And uh, they could use their support, too. Go to uh, the .NET Rocks page, www.franklins.net slash .NET Rocks, and click on our useless crap section. And hey, what are you doing April 18th through the 21st this year? How about coming down to the Hyatt Regency Grand Cypress in Orlando, Florida? Seeing the Bix man, Harry Bixhorn, and David Lazar, and uh, win a Harley. I'm talking about Visual Studio Connections, folks. You get three conferences for the price of one. Visual Studio Connections, Microsoft ASP.NET Connections, and SQL Server Magazine Connections. Javal Lowy and myself are the conference chairs for the VisualStudio.net Connections Conference. And so we picked all of the speakers and the topics. Paul Litwin does the, is the chair of the ASP.NET Connections and he picks all of the speakers for ASP.NET. And Brian Moran is the conference chair for SQL Server Magazine Connection. So this is a star-studded, action-packed, definitely worth the price of admission conference. And it's in Orlando in the spring. What could be better? Go to www.devconnections.com and check it out. Thank you very much. Uh, we have on the line, as I told you we would have, uh, somebody from Data Dynamics, and his name is Isam Albaitam, and uh, he's going to tell us the Data Dynamics take on the whole SQL uh, reporting services thing. Isam, are you there? Yes, I am. How are you today? I'm all right. How are you, Carl? Great. Welcome to the show. Well, as the listeners have been uh, listening to me uh, praise ActiveReports.net, which I, I love. I still love it. Great, thank you. Yep, and um, but I just thought it would be you know a good thing to do to have you on and sort of uh, tell us what what you guys think of it. Yes, I appreciate the opportunity. I've been listening to the show, listening to Bill and Paul uh, and Peter talk about it, and uh, it's um, we think you know reporting services is is really a, a great product. Uh, it competes uh, very well with uh, with Crystal on the. Uh, Enterprise and departmental level. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it comes to active reports, active reports really uh, one of the things. If you guys are not familiar with it, active reports. One of the main differences that you will immediately notice between AR and uh, reporting services is that uh, reports get integrated right into the application. Reporting services actually creates it's a project designer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you have to create a reporting project for you to use it within Visual Studio. So okay. the level of integration is slightly different. Our reports are more like forms. They integrate right within a Windows application or a web application. Okay. This, uh, the second thing you'll notice is that it is more like Access Report Writer than it is like uh, Reporting Services or Crystal. It has its abandoned Report Writer uh, that supports sections and group sections and sub-reports and uh, uh, very, very familiar user interface if you, are, uh, if you know Access Reporting Writer. 
so you have the full integration, the familiarity, and also the integration level goes down to the coding. Uh, just like you do on a form designer, you go to the form, double click on it, and it pops up the code editor with events and stuff like that. Yeah. Our reports also have, have events for every step of the processing, uh, of the report processing uh, stages. So you get events and you could modify reporting, uh, modify the controls or modify the section properties and things like that. Okay. Uh, and you could do that in the language that you are using for your application. So if it was a VB app or a .NET or a C-sharp app, you, you can do that. And that's different uh, than uh, SQL reporting services? Uh, I don't think that they support this type of integration. Okay. They, they have some code behind, but it is not the same. It's not like a form. All right. Uh, there is actually a code section, I think, in the a code element in the RDL, but I'm I, I'm not sure that they they have actually a full blown editor support for the okay. code, and I'm not sure the events that they have are uh, are to the extent that Active Reports has. Uh, for example, the currency conversion example that you guys were talking about, something like what Bill was saying. Uh, I mean, you could easily do that in, in an event. Uh, behind the report, as you get, you could do the com uh, compare your current locale with the, with the predefined locale in the report and uh, either use uh, a conversion value or even call up a web service if you want. So you could do these types of things because of that capability. You mm. could modify the report structure as, before the report runs. Okay. Uh, so uh, also with, with active reports, because it lives within the application, the reports can get compiled right with, with the application within the executable or the web application. Right. Uh, that allows us to actually use the same data sources and connections and data set and even collections that you are using in your application. So it does not have to create a separate connection for the report. If you have just ran a query and uh, are showing a grid on, on a form, you could use that same data, pass the data set or uh, the connection, if you want to share the connection, to the report, and it will use that to execute. It will not go ahead and create its own. And obviously, the other things that we've already mentioned, uh, it doesn't require SQL Server uh, uh, 2000. It is really data provider. It is. Uh, it does not really need any, uh, right. any database Just hook it up. at all. And uh, to, to, to differentiate you from Crystal, I know one of the things that jumps to mind is uh, Crystal still uses com objects under the hood. And uh, so you still have the same, you know, DLL hell issues. And, absolutely. Uh, one, one, of the, one of the huge things that we've done for AR.NET is that we rewrote the whole thing from, from scratch in C Sharp. So we have fully managed assemblies that you could even deploy it with your application using XCopy deployment, just uh, copy the assembly right along with your application. Uh, so the, the integration level, the ease of deployment, the ease of licensing also. Licensing is another big thing. You guys have been talking about uh, reporting services being free, which is really going to be uh, in 50% in of the cases, a lot of people are going to have to license SQL Server again in my mind, because if they want the reporting service to uh, to scale up and, and not really impact their, their database, you would want it to sit on a separate server. Uh, Active Reports has royalty-free licensing. There is no user or per processor or anything. That's great. Stuff. It's simply a component the developer buys, puts in the application, in any number of applications, actually, that they're creating. Uh, and uh, it's royalty-free all the way. So a lot of your advantages are basically 100% .NET 
high integration, and a really nice, easy licensing scheme. Yes. It's very straightforward. Uh, we also include, with the professional edition, we also have an end-user designer. So uh, you guys have been talking about the designer requiring Visual Studio.net and some other companies creating uh, report designers based on the RDL uh, format. Uh, we include an end-user report designer control that if you have an application, let's say, I don't know, uh, patient management application, and you would like to give your users the ability to modify reports, you simply integrate that right into the application uh, so the users could edit the report right there and you create the environment around it so you could make the designer as easy or as a or as hardcore as you would want so you give the users a lot of power basically that's good go ahead uh, one last a uh, couple of things uh, excel support in in uh, reporting services is not uh, i don't think it's uh, uh, it supports BIF format. It's based on the uh, XML format, which is only supported, I believe, in XD and, uh, and beyond. Uh, so we go down to, if you have Excel 97 or uh, Excel 2000 and those, we support those also because we actually write BIF format, okay. uh, not uh, XML. And you, you mentioned the professional edition. What other editions are there and what are the differences? What can I expect from okay. the different editions? Uh, there is a standard and professional. The standard, uh, they're exactly the same. So the professional includes the standard and it adds on top of that the end user designer. And it also adds uh, something cool for web applications actually. It's uh, web viewer control and uh, HTTP handlers. HTTP handlers essentially take any request for an RPX file, which mm -hmm. is our format, uh, XML-based format, and it takes that request and processes it on the server within your application. Oh. So it adds those to making web applications slightly easier for uh, for developers, especially with the web viewer being usable in a web form. Bill and uh, Peter, two minutes left. Uh, you guys got any questions for Isam? Uh, uh, questions or can we... Uh, or comments, well, I suppose. Or comments, yeah. yeah either. I mean, he was saying uh, about the support in uh, reporting services about uh, code elements for code behind. Reporting yep. services does also support custom assemblies, custom .NET assemblies, That's correct. Which, which you can put in, and, and there's a lot of cool things that uh, we're showing folks on that. He's absolutely right about uh, coming up with points that, you know, that, that there does need to be SQL Server there, uh, but that does provide the opportunity for central manageability of the report. So you can go in and change a report in one place, and everybody has got that, uh, that new report available right. to them. And I wondered within active reports what the deployment strategy is for updating reports. Have you got to redistribute your application to all of your users via XCopy when you've made changes? Not necessarily. I mean, with active reports, it's, it's a component that has a file format similar to RDL. It's XML-based. So you, the developer has the choice to whether compile the report within the application or distribute the RPX with the application, or even place the RPX files on a server so that anyone can pick them up either uh, via web services or, I mean, you could essentially, right. with active reports, implement the same things that reporting services provide, uh, but it does not come in the box. Reporting services, right. really, the beauty of it is that it is, it's got really an excellent server architecture, security, manageability, extensibility. Those are things, really, that we've, we have not focused on. Right. Uh, we've always focused on the developer who likes to do things, you know, at, at the very low level and, and customize their environment in any way they want. Hmm. Right. So it's doable, but it's not built in. And, so, as a developer, is there an addition 
that I could get just for playing around with it, just to get a feel for it? Yeah, what's Absolutely. the pricing? Yeah. Yes, there is a full evaluation copy uh, that from you can download from our website, datadynamics.com, and uh, you could use it uh, indefinitely. The only thing it has is it puts one liner at the bottom of each page that it generates that says this is an evaluation. Okay, so it's fully functional and then some. It has the one added. And <laughs> did you did you give a price for that? The uh, I believe the professional edition is twelve ninety nine and the uh, standard edition is four ninety nine and they're both royalty free. Where does the uh, where does the price top out for like your full blown enterprise it's edition? Twelve ninety nine. That is the top edition that we. Wow. Have. Yeah. So Thirteen hundred bucks is the most I'll ever pay for ActiveReports.net, no matter how much I use it. That's correct. Interesting. Can I ask another question? Yeah. Um, I was just going through the notes that I was taking as, as you were talking. You didn't. I didn't uh, remember if you'd said anything about charts. Does one have to? Um, I'm glad how does one handle charts at the moment with Active Reports? Yes, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, currently, okay, Active Reports is actually a full WinForm control host, so you could place any Windows Forms control on the report and it will uh, run it. So, so right you could now, go for the Office. Uh, web components chart component, could you? No, it's, it, that's an ActiveX control. It supports right. Olay objects, but not ActiveX. So you could probably use the uh, Office graph component, but not the chart. And okay. now we have our COM product does support actually ActiveX controls. It's an ActiveX host, so you could do that with our COM product. But since we're talking about AR.NET, uh, a lot of our users use different, they use actually the same Dundas chart and chart FX from software FX. Right. And in the upcoming release that we're working on right now, we actually have uh, written our own chart control that will be included with the product. This and is the great. Control actually similar to the reporting service. Well, Isam, it's the top of the hour, and we have to uh, say goodbye. But listen, this was very uh, educational for me and for the listeners, I'm great. sure. I appreciate it. Uh, we're going to uh, quietly go to a, um, a musical interlude here over the hour, and then we're going to come back with uh, Dan Appleman. So I'd like to say goodbye to uh, Bill and to Peter. And uh, also, I would like to ask the listeners to get their Skypes ready and to call in with questions for Dan. And also, we're going to be asking uh, people to call in and with Skype for their worst DLL hell stories. You got any DLL hell stories? Go to www.franklins.net slash call.net rocks and uh, enter in a question. And we'd like to, uh, we'd like to hear from you. Maybe you'll win a prize too. All right, stick around. We got more to come right here on .NET Rocks. Don't you go away.
Wasn't that a nice song, Rory? That was a very pleasant song, Carl. Yeah, that was a uh, that was a true story. Actually, it wasn't at all true, but <laughs> <clears throat> it was inspired by true events that happened in the winter time in New England. And uh, so, geez, that was just smoking, wasn't it? That was awesome. There was a there was a little bit of a little bit of back and forth going on there. That was interesting. You know? Yeah. Well, I thought I thought it was an important thing to yeah, do. I agree. Yeah. That's so a good, that's a good format. I like that better. I think than just the straightforward ad. I think that worked out pretty well. Yeah. You know, getting to actually talk about the product worked. How about you? You have any DLL hell stories from the field? I've been doing managed stuff for ever since beta one came out. Um, I actually, because of that, haven't had any real problems with DLL with DLL hell. And, uh, I got into the game a little too late to have really had to suffer through calm. Yeah. The way a lot of other people did. And right. even back in my VB six days, I was doing some Java work and, Back then, I didn't have to really deal with COM. So you sort of... Oh, sick. Okay. So you did VB6 without COM, and then you did Java, and then... Did VB6 with COM, but just never really ran into any problems. Okay. Um, because the, the the particular position I was in, I just had full control, and so I didn't really have to coordinate with anybody at the time. And, you know, it's a lot easier, I think, to, to kind of get things done efficiently, quickly, um, in some ways, when you're working by yourself, because you, you know exactly where everything is. It, sometimes it's harder to get yourself tangled up in problems. Yeah. So it worked out pretty well. 
That's true. And then, of course, Java was just class path hell. Right. That's you know? true. And, I mean, and runtime hell. <laughs> right. What's going on here? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's one of the problems with Java on the desktop. I always thought is, what am I going to tell my users about, you know, the, about setting class path and all these environment variables? So, yeah, I was, I was dealing with class path hell, not so yeah. much DLL hell. Well, once again, we we don't have any takers for all these great products. I guess we're going to have to just, you know, eBay. split them up. Yeah, <laughs> <right>. <laughs> you take you know, off. Self-sponsorship, you know. You take Visual Studio, I'll take the server, whatever. The simulator's you know. looking pretty sweet, so <laughs> I'll just grab that, right. throw it on the tablet. <laughs> <laughs> well, I kind of like this format. We're not having any uh, bandwidth issues. Uh, um, Innerbridge said we spiked it about... Uh, 2.5 megabits, and we've had a peak of about 76 listeners. So I think that's pretty good. That for, is pretty good. The first time. The first time. Yep. You know, it's a Friday, and most people probably didn't even go to work. So we're actually doing all right. <laughs> you know, we're doing all right, I think. And I just want to thank you guys for hanging with us out there and, and being part of this uh, historic event. Well, we get our live radio legs. Right. We actually have been taking some pictures of all the craziness that's been going on here. We will have them on the on the website. And, you know, part of the craziness has been... 3 a.m. conversations with Dan Appleman, and because uh, he helped us sort of test out Skype, and we ended up having some late night conversations with him that ran rather long. Um, some of them, a couple of them, we may have recorded, but we really didn't. But we should have, and we knew we should have. Uh, so Dan Appleman, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna skip the intro because I've introduced him on our website, and his bio is right there. And if you don't know who Dan I mean, is, he's Dan Appleman. I mean, come yeah. on. <laughs> you know? Dan, are you are you are you on the line? Are you on the phone? Yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you great. Very well. Roy, great. can well, you hear? I can hear Dan quite clearly. Dan sounds great. All right. What's so, up? Would, would you like me to add in a, a half a second of uh, extra lag between? Uh, between <laughs> <laughs> Just for kicks. No, that's quite all right. <laughs> I, I can sound choppy if you'd like. <laughs> Were you listening to the first half? I was listening. I thought it was a great show. Yeah. Um, I, I, a number of things I, I found pretty interesting. Uh, for example, I, I was fascinated by the uh, comment about uh, uh, the risk of not using an SSL connection yeah. on SQL reports. And uh, it really struck me that they felt it was necessary, that it, it was the kind of thing they needed to warn people, don't uncheck that box. Yeah. And I was sort of wondering, first of all, why, why does the that box, box there? exist? Right. Mm -hmm. And second, you would think that if you do uncheck that box, there would be you know, alarms going off and big sirens and, and, and so on. I suppose there's an, a situation where you have a, a local server on, you know, behind that firewall traffic where it doesn't matter. Oh, absolutely. But... Uh, uh, but, but, We're but testing is and there really adequate warning yeah. for the other cases? Right. Well, be, speaking of security, you're, you're all about security these days, right? Well, you know, it, it's funny because you know, we were talking the other night about uh, you know, how interests change and how focus has changed and so on. And I've spent a lot of time recently dealing with security. You know, I've, I've, uh, you know, I've written a security ebook and uh, done some licensing, licensing and some code access security work and so on. And uh, I've come to realize that, that the biggest problem with security isn't technology at all. It's people. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. But we don't really think about it that way, do we? Well, you certainly don't go to conferences to learn how to be a more secure person, <laughs> you know, and how to keep the insecure people away from your boxes. 
It's a well, sort of assumed knowledge, right? Loose lips well, sink ships, one of those sorts of things, right? <laughs> there, there's a big focus on technological solutions, right? And we spend time talking about, well, you know, here's how we can do encryption and so on. But, you know, take an example of this little, little box, uh, this little checkbox about if you uncheck it, you get plain text. And there's probably a little dialog box that comes up that just sort of quietly says, you know, are you sure you know what you're doing? Or this means something will be sent in plain text. But I don't know if people necessarily get it because, let's face it, unless you're an enterprise and you have a real IT department and you have people who really think about security, nobody's going to bother to hook this thing up through SSL. Well, it's a big pain in the ass for most people, right? It is. Security. I, as a developer, that's the last thing I want to do. I'm just talking, you know, something I know I have to do and I do it. But, uh, you know, my natural instinct is leave it to the last moment so I can work with my program without any barriers. Do you find that's true, Rory? Absolutely. That's what I was thinking. I was thinking the checkbox was there either for that reason or as a weed out thing. You know, if you're about <laughs> to put it in production and you actually unselect that checkbox and you don't use SSL, an alarm goes off somewhere in Microsoft and black helicopters come <laughs> and you are vaporized on the spot and <laughs> and you're not competing with me for that job anymore. So I, I like that box. I'm happy with that box. That's a feature. <laughs> At least it's always checked. It's, it's checked by default is my mm -hmm. understanding. Well, that's the great thing. It's checked by default. So how crazy can you be? I mean, you see that and you think, do I want security? Nah, bang. <laughs> that, is a, that is a fine box. I'm happy with the box. I want more of those boxes. I want a whole row of them. The box know? is good. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Bypass firewall. Open up all ports. We should have these two because, you know, I, 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 I want to see, you know, things thin out a little bit. You know, a little bit less job competition. I like that. And I like, I like the whole idea of just a bolt of lightning shooting out of the monitor automatically if you go anywhere near one of those checkboxes. If you even hover for a few <laughs> seconds, I want you to be a pile of ash in your little air on chair a few seconds later. You know, you're there. You're I don't think they're, they're not going to do that, though, because if, if they vaporize you, you can't buy more software. Oh, that's well, true. Oh, that's a good point. Then you're of no okay, use to Microsoft. So Dan Appleman, note number one, do not vaporize your customers. That's good. <laughs> Uh, I, I get a real kick out of the uh, internet connection firewall on XP is another great example. That, that's the one that, that, of course, there's this huge security improvement uh, in, in the newer versions of XP where it will now be enabled by default, right? Right, right. Mm -hmm. And, and that, that, of course, received headline news. Uh, but, of course, I can understand that why Microsoft was reluctant to do that at first because now that their product support services are going to get millions and millions of calls because nothing's going to work anymore. Right. Yeah. Well, I always I envision, you know, installing the service pack and then going to print a document and having a dialog box tell me I don't have permission to access my own printer that's on my <laughs> own network and uh, saying, screw this, after fut futzing around with it for five minutes and, and just turning it off. And you well, know I that's going to happen, right? I don't need an internet connection firewall to get that message. Yeah. <laughs> I get that message for reasons I can't even imagine. <laughs> you know, just just a simple non-domain-based uh, network, simple workstation-based network, it's very difficult sometimes to talk to printers because, uh, at least as far as I know, there's no way to tell your computer, hey, you know, why don't you log in as a particular user and account when you talk to the printer? Yeah, uh, I mean, nobody's going to do that. Like, Except Rory, he would do that. <laughs> Like the boxes, you know. <laughs> it's, it's one of those those quirks that I can't understand. For example, ActiveX controls. There's another good example when that pop up box comes up and it says, "Would you like to trust this ActiveX control? Would you always like to 
trust controls from this company. Yeah. Why isn't there a checkbox that says, I don't ever want to trust controls from this company? Right. I can think of a number of companies I, I'd like to do that for. Gator. That, <laughs> <laughs> for example, yeah. For example, Gator. Have you have you heard of Gator? Oh, heard of it. I've been infected. You can't get with rid it. of it. You've been I mean... infected. <laughs> You've been infected. You're 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 a computer professional. I've had, yeah, that's right. Oh, you know what? You know where you can get it. There's there there is a Divix codec you can download for Windows Media Player, and the free one automatically installs Gator. How, I didn't I didn't know where I got it. I somebody was on your and, blog though told you that uh, there was some sort of option that you can like you have to agree to it. Oh no, no. I, well, I think you have if as long as you agree to install the Divix codec then bam they put they put they put gator out there it's one of those situations where it's embedded in the end user license agreement mm-hmm. that nobody ever reads and uh mm-hmm. it says something very vague like we might stick some software on your application blah 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 when you're not looking you're going to get the x10 pop-up when you're in the middle of coding or something like that. Well, there that, goes so. our Gator sponsorship <laughs> out the door. <laughs> right. I'm sorry about that. But Gator's <laughs> awesome. Yeah, it's a great product. We We're love spyware. Gator. Have you ever read their license agreement? Is uh, there one? I didn't see one. I mean, what it was bang on my, on my box. I didn't it, even... When the ActiveX control installation thing pops up, there's a tiny little thing, you know, read more details here. It's about 25 pages long. Oh, wow. Jeff, Amazing uh, license agreement I've ever read. Jeff Maciolik, our engineer, is uh, on IM with me. He says you can actually get a clean version of the DivX codec. Jeff, how, how is that possible? Now, now he's trying to figure out how he can patch himself into the conversation. <laughs> he goes, huh? <laughs> what? I, I need to talk here? Yeah, yeah, no. Don't worry about that, Jeff. We'll, uh, you can just relay the message to and me. And we'll I'll believe tell the people. you. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Somebody's obviously on your team is getting some money to the table from Gator, but that's cool. I had an interesting issue happen on my wife's computer that she uses um, uh, at home where the browser came up and I blogged this the browser came up and always went to when you typed in www.google.com it went to some royal search page yeah, I've seen that yeah and if you go to search.msn.com it went to royal search i'm like what the hell's going on here i looked in my registry nothing i looked everywhere then i looked in the hosts file and some motherfucking thing had gotten in there Ooh. and that on radio? Yeah, well, we did. God damn it. <laughs> security, I guess we can use uh, No, it really that, right? pisses me off. That's why I'm so mad. Right. But because some some kid wrote something to get in there and open my host file, and anytime I say Google.com, redirect it to, and and they have the balls to redirect it to their own search page. Mm-hmm. Like you know, it's the biggest. Here I am, come arrest me. Thing. It's like gumdrops from the broken window at the jewelry store, <laughs> leading back to the crime scene <laughs> or, or back to the hideout. You know. So so now, where did where did this come from? Uh, it, don't know. We don't know. Now, we absolutely say, don't know. Why did you say some kid did it? I, I say some, yeah, and, and this is good. Um, I say some kid as in the sense of the quintessential hacker with too much time on their hands who typically tends to be a young male. Uh, Whacked out on caffeine and, yeah. <laughs> you know, big chip on his shoulder. Angry at the it, universe, the angst stage, you know. I'm going right. to make people go to my search engine, you know. They, they're rebelling differently nowadays. It used to be long hair and... <laughs> And drugs, but when now I, they're redirecting you to their search engines. So. Back in the days of bulletin boards, <laughs> when I ran a bulletin board, yes, I did, um, I had a kid chat the sysop, you know, page the system I had operator. one of those, yeah. And, a, right. and you go over there, yes, and he says, you want to see the source code to a virus? <laughs> I'm like, no, get off my board. <laughs> <laughs> he says, I've got several of them. Uh-huh. Maybe I've got several of them. Uh, I, I, you know, I'm taking assembly language next year in high school, and I plan to make my very own virus. Specialize in hard drive deletion. You know, that's a really cool, kid. You know, and I just heard today on the news that Microsoft is going to uh, 
maybe going to uh, offering a reward, a two hundred fifty thousand dollar reward for the guy who wrote this latest round of uh, this vi- latest worm. Now, now those are the people for whom some vaporization is in order. Absolutely, right. But they'll but have the to pro- answer to Rory. Boo. <laughs> well, I, I actually wondered what does happen. You get these guys, and you you hand them over to Microsoft, and they just disappear into some dungeon somewhere. I mean, they get a spanking and go away. You know, spanking. They get a spanking. Go to their room. <laughs> now it brings up an interesting. I'm glad you brought up. You know, why did you say it was a teenager, Dan? Because you've been doing some serious work with uh, security and teenagers. In fact, this is a topic of your new book, is it not? It it is, and 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 that's the reason I have to sort of correct your logic is. You're absolutely right that a lot of people who write viruses are young adult males and so on. But unfortunately, people sort of have flipped it around. They say, well, that means that the only thing young adult males are interested in is writing viruses. Yeah, and that's mm-hmm. totally wrong. And that is actually totally wrong. We also because like hitting mailboxes with baseball bats. What, so. what, we? We? <laughs> I'm, I'm, we? I'm still youngish. I'm pretending, you know. There was a time when I was, you know, a wee lad. And so you're saying so. you write viruses? Well, I mean, so what were you talking about, Dan? <laughs> it, it, I'll, I'll tell you a story, okay? And this is actually a true story. This happened in, uh, sometime in August. Okay. And I think it's much more typical of what young adult males are dealing with. Uh, so I get a call from my nephew who's at a friend's house. Let's, let's call him Curtis because that's what his name is. <laughs> <laughs> and, no embarrassment uh, here. <laughs> and, and my nephew says, uh, you know, Curtis is sitting in front of his in front of his computer, and there's a message box there, and somebody is typing at him and telling him that Curtis has to to basically hand over all of his game CD keys, or this guy is going to remotely delete all the files on his computer. Yeah, great. Holding right? the computer and, hostage and the, for game And the question keys? to me is, what to me was, what should we do? Uh, disconnect the network cable. Well, that was the first thing. <laughs> yes, that Change was, that the IP was my address. first answer. Yeah. Say, get off the internet, and then basically, I proceeded to you know do one of those remote diagnostic things where you know you're trying to imagine what they're typing in and what they're seeing and 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 so on. And that gets real interesting when you're asking them to start looking at the registry and so on. Yeah. But but we were able, I was able to find it and at least get it so it could start up. And it was tricky because some of the programs were dead already. Uh, when Internet Explorer didn't work anymore, so they hmm. couldn't download firewall software, and and uh, you know it took a little bit of work, but we were able to at least get him to be able to connect without uh, being attacked. And uh, and I realized that I'd been getting more and more of those kind of issues come up. Right? With I, teens. With teens. Yeah. I, vol- I volunteer with a youth group, and they know I work in computers, so you know I, I was getting more and more of these you know instant messages and saying you know. My computer's suddenly crashing for no reason. You know what's going on, and uh, and I'm getting weird pop-ups, and uh, yeah. everything's slowed down, and 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 this is happening more and more. So I said, okay, well, I need to find a book to give to these people to teach them some basic computer security, and I couldn't find one. Uh, I found lots of books for adults, lots yeah. of books on business security, and I found lots of books for parents. Hmm. on how to protect their kids. Hmm. But I didn't find any books that you could hand to a teenager that could help them. That makes a big assumption about the intelligence of teenagers in the, you know, what we think, how, how intelligent we think they are. Well, they're the, they know more about computers than most adults. Right. 
you know, and that's what I'm saying. It's it's completely moronic because they're the ones that have all the time in the world to to learn this stuff, and you know, what, and they de- they desperately need it. They're the ones who are suffering from these problems. So, what kind of problems do teens have that adults don't have Pimples. in terms of security? Well, as I started doing the research, <laughs> that is one of the things that astonished me most. Is, is that they really do have very different needs. For example, online gaming is not something that most of their parents spend a lot of time doing. And online, ga- online gaming is a very serious issue. For example, uh, if you go to an adult, most adults you say, turn on a firewall. Right. All they have to do is turn on the firewall. They don't have any incoming connections. Right. Right? And the games don't of, work. Most of these online games will stop working. Mm-hmm. So what do you do when you want to play a game and the firewall is stopping you and you're a teenager? That's a tough one. You turn off the firewall, right? <laughs> <laughs> you do. And, I, and I've seen this. I've hosted LAN parties. I've seen it. You know, the conversation goes, I've started a game. Can you see my game? I can't see your game. Can you see my game now? Can you see it now? No, you can't. Hey, did you turn off your firewall? Oh, no, quick, turn off the firewall. Yeah. Well, it goes and, back and, to that printer thing. It's basically when security gets in the way, we take it off. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, uh, so for teenagers, it's not enough to say you need a firewall. You have to say, you need a firewall, and here's how you open ports, and, or right. here's how you set up servers yeah. uh, using a NAT-based firewall. Uh, another example is, and I did some surveys to find out how big a problem this is, and I was astonished. Uh, teenagers suffer from identity theft at a huge, huge rate. Identity theft, like the I- Citigroup commercials that we've been seeing lately? Uh, it's, it's, it's actually, it's, from their perspective, it's worse than the Citigroup, because the Citigroup commercial, all you're losing is money. Right. Right. And your and, voice, apparently. <laughs> sorry? And your voice, apparently. Your voiceovers. You, know, you, you look like a 90-year-old woman talking like a surf punk. Oh, right? I, I guess there's that, too. And maybe you haven't seen the commercial. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I'm not, I, I don't recognize the commercial. I can just sort of guess. Citibank's got to be money, right? Yeah, well, they have a, a, a theft prote- identity theft protection insurance. And uh, basically, you pay them 12 bucks a month, and then if your identity is stolen, you know, they will... They will pay legal fees uh, to get your to get your stuff taken care of and pay your bills. Well, I, I ought to look into that because most of those credit protection services I've seen, they charge you twelve dollars a month, and if you are suffer from identity theft, they'll tell you that you suffered from identity theft. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, plus they they have armies of people out there stealing your identity, probably. You know. <laughs> so. it, it could be. No, no. Teenagers suffer from identity theft. That's a lot worse than than your money. Okay. Uh, they, they suffer from people who literally start impersonating them, usually on instant message, sometimes email as well. So what is, what's your typical scenario where that would happen? Uh, the typical scenario comes from, from this fundamental fact, and it's another difference between adult and, uh, and teen usage. When, you, when an adult goes and visits someone else at their home, usually what do you do? You have coffee, you watch TV, you hang out, you have conversations, and so on. Right. When a teen goes and visits another teen at their home, the first thing they do is they sit down in front of their computer. Absolutely. And they log in, and they bring up Instant Messenger. Or their parents' computer. Or their parents' computer. Yes. And if Instant Messenger isn't there, they install it. Right. And And my friend Marco does that, too. Huh? (laughs) I'm just kidding. Uh, We have a little audience in the studio here. They've been laughing and listening, but... They've I said, what, it too. Yeah, well, they do it. You know, they come over to my office, and the first thing they do is install an FTP client or something. There you go. <laughs> and a lot of these instant message programs, especially AOL, by default has automatic login. It says, oh, 
Right. You want it to automatically come up and bring up into the messenger logged in uh, next time the computer's turned on. Right. So what happens, and I've, I, after a LAN party, I'll turn on a computer, and sure enough, there's an instant message session set up with somebody else's account all ready to go. Yeah. And, you know... And the there you go. That's happens, what happens. The, mm-hmm. and, and the first thing, that, that provides just an irresistible temptation to start pretending to be someone else. Oh, wouldn't that be fun if we could, you know, get Susie's girlfriend or boyfriend to... Uh, Susie's girl. Well, whatever. Hey, <laughs> I don't want to... There's nothing wrong with that, you know? But it's just... Um, whatever, you know, somebody's boyfriend to, uh, to divulge some secret, uh, stuff, you know, and whatever. And that's exactly what happens. And teens are doing this. This is actually fairly common. It's incredibly common. Cause I, I wish somebody had done that to me around report card time, you know, <laughs> just pretended to be me in front of my mom and taking over my life. But, <laughs> but I had no idea that it was, I, I didn't know that it was that common. I, I didn't know what kids were up to. So the worst thing I think you're saying, Dan, is that it's not just affecting the teens, but their parents, not only their home networks, but in m- many cases, their parents' computers. Uh, if you know, if teens share a profile on Windows XP, for example, with their parents on the same computer, they you know they sit down at that thing for a half an hour, and you've got all sorts of ad and spyware. So, have you actually gotten calls from teenagers come fix my computer, and then ran something like adware and seen all sorts uh, yes, of? Yes, yes, I've a- I've actually done I've actually done diagnostics on some of these machines. Some of them are absolutely frightening. Hmm. Uh, some of them are so messed up that it's just, you know, restore and give up. So this and, is like, uh, this is like actually, the new uh, VD epidemic, you know, <laughs> almost. It, it is. Can, can, can I say something about that? Because I was, I was at my father's office, and he, had, he has his office assistant there, and her son was about to go off to a LAN party. He had his computer with him, you know, it had the handle built in and everything. And when I was a kid, if I was going to go out, you know, somebody would say, be careful, you know, don't stay up too late or, or yeah. don't drink too much and don't take, you know, the red ones, but take the yellow ones or whatever. I mean, you know, they give me a few <laughs> pointers. And, uh, and uh, what she said to her son was, don't get any computer viruses. You don't know what's going on in that network. You know, wow. which was incredible Good for her. Yeah. Well, she's very smart. I mean, she's she's really very smart. And uh, I couldn't believe that I heard that. I, it made me feel old, first of all. But then after that, it was just an incredible thing. There There is some awareness. Well, but, Dan, what's the name of your book? Yeah. It, it's called Always Use Protection. And that's right. sort of like <laughs> what? Right along those lines. What yes. she said exactly. to her son there. AlwaysUseProtection.com is the URL. I encourage everybody to go check this out. It's not just for teenagers, but teenagers represent a threat to your systems as well as to their own, and and uh, they deserve our respect. I have another question about adware removal, all right? Now, I've been kind of suspicious. Maybe I'm crazy. Maybe, you know, I was talking about the black helicopters earlier, but is it possible <laughs> that there are some applications out there that are just posing as adware remover that will do nothing but drop huge, like, Gator 9000, you know, plus <laughs> special super edition on your computer without you noticing? Have you seen anything like this? I mean, I guess uh, it basically it would, be a Trojan. It wouldn't but. surprise me at all. There are, there are lots of uh, programs that claim to be adware and spyware re- removal. I don't know of any specific ones offhand, but, you know, these things come and go quickly. Mm-hmm. The, the two that, uh, that I, I personally right now use Adaware, mm-hmm. uh, which is, uh, I think, lavasoftusa.com. And uh, the other one that's uh, very well known is Spybot Search and Destroy, and I've, I've heard some very good things about that from a lot of people. So get your adware removal from a reputable source. Don't just right. grab the first one you see and, yeah, definitely look at the yeah. reviews. But, but you also have to be careful with those because, you know, some of the programs that use adware, and adware is not quite the same thing as a virus because sometimes you're okay with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but some of, the, some of these programs, if you remove adware, 
uh, not only will the program stop, but you're actually violating that 25-page license agreement that you supposedly agreed to. Hmm, interesting. So, uh, you know, those, those programs will specifically say you cannot use anything to remove this program. Hmm. I don't. Wow. I, I don't think it's terribly enforceable, but uh, yeah, you could always repave the machine, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's always an option. I haven't I haven't uh, operated in the repave mode since Windows 2000, Windows NT, and before I was repaving every month. And uh, ever since Windows 2000, I stopped that practice. But I don't know why I brought that up. Anyway, we'd like to hear from you if you've got a question for Dan about security, and. Uh, Go to www.franklins.net.call.net/call.netrocks. That's one word, and uh, follow the instructions there. We have lots of great prizes here, and and uh, no nobody to uh, nobody to uh, take them. So, when is your book coming out? And uh, before you answer ask answer that question, before you ask the question that I'm going to answer, yeah, right. We'll edit that out, right, Jeff? <laughs> um, I have a question from Doug, who's in the room who actually wants to ask, and Doug, therefore, you get the prize. Um, uh, do you recommend any antivirus software and or firewall software? I mean, there's lots of it out there. What do you use? Okay. In terms of uh, antivirus, there's lots of good ones out there. In the book, I basically talk about just Norton and McAfee. And I talk about those because those are the ones that the vast majority of people have. They usually are installed on a machine when you get the machine. And uh, the problem is the people just sort of don't renew the subscriptions uh, or don't update them properly. I personally use uh, McAfee's Virus Scan online. It's proven to be very effective. It's nice because it, uh, it does a very good job of keeping itself updated. Uh, McAfee does unfortunately have a, a habit of being a little bit annoying in terms of trying to upsell people. Yeah, it's sort of a virus in and of itself, isn't it? In a way, <laughs> it, it, it's annoying, but... Uh, you know, it, it, I've been very happy with it over the years, and uh, it's kept me out of uh, a certain amount of grief, so I appreciate that. Uh, and because it's an online product, it's an ActiveX control-based product, if, once you have an account with them, if you're desperate, you know, you're, you're out on the road or something, else, or something like that, you've just reinstalled your system or so on, you don't necessarily have your virus scan software with you. You can just get on there, log in, reinstall it, and you have the latest version on your system just like that. Okay. Uh, and that's a, that's a feature that I like. In terms of firewalls, if you're using dial-up, uh, I would say Zone Alarm because it's free. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, the personal edition. If you're using a cable, DSL, or broadband, or so on, then I think everybody, even if you just have one computer, you should be behind a NAT-based router. Yeah, uh, they are very inexpensive nowadays. They only cost thirty bucks, forty bucks, forty dollars, and network address translation gives you a good default set of security, right? In other words, it's one of those cases where it starts out awfully secure, and you can open things if you want to, but that's the way things should be. They should start out secure. It's the biggest problem, and and I think we see this even as software developers is that you get this system, and the first thing you have to do is figure out how to secure it. Right. You get millions and millions of knowledge base articles and instructions and so on to talk about how to harden your system and how to install security. And the truth is you're never quite sure if you've really done it all or done it correctly. <laughs> and mm -hmm. yep. you know, maybe you're a Microsoft certified engineer and you've taken 
you know, 20 hours of courses, you might have a level of confidence that you've done everything you need to do. But and with all this, yeah, and with all, I was going to say, with all those access denied boxes coming up all the time, you really wonder whether it's all worth it and, you know, whether you did it right. And yeah. and actually, that's that's when you know you've done it right is when you've got the boxes coming up and saying such and such, so and so. And and that, that's, I think, one of the biggest problems. Again, it's, it's these human problems. It's people not realizing, and or the developers, and this includes ourselves, it includes Microsoft, it includes vendors, not not really taking the time to understand how people react to security and how people deal with security and, and how people will right. respond. For example, it is inexcusable in a way that these instant message programmers programs default to automatic login. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yet, the reason that happens is because the people who developed the software said, oh, you know, people are going to really like this convenience. Right. And it didn't occur to them that, well, let's actually take a look and see how people are using this and wake up and say, oh, my God, you know, they're sharing systems. A better default would be not having automatic login. It'd be like if somebody built you a house and the default were to leave the door open all the time. I mean, right. it's easier. Sure, you don't have to mess with the lock. You don't have to open the door. You just walk right in, but so does everybody else. So. Right. What, what we really need is, is we need the, uh, the security equivalent of a user interface designer. There you so, go. As a you know, job. We, we, know, we know nowadays, I mean, we've already figured out that, that developers should generally not do user interface design. Right? It takes, it takes a certain kind of person to do that. Just ask Alan Cooper. <laughs> Alan Cooper's yeah. dead right on that. Yep. And uh, so, so if you're doing a significant project, you go and you get a user interface designer, somebody who really has expertise on human interaction with computers, to do your user, user interface, and then us developers code it. Uh, there is no equivalent for that in the security world. We need a, a user security interaction expert so that developers, when they start designing the security of an application or a system, actually go out to these people and say, okay, now let's see, what are people actually going to do? And how are people going to actually deal with this? Yeah, yeah. What do you, what do you think about the XP built-in firewall? I mean, we uh, talked about that a few minutes ago, in fact, just the fact that they're leaving it on by default, but what do you think of it as a tool? It's, it's a very basic tool. It's not sophisticated enough for really for doing online gaming because it doesn't give you enough flexibility right now in terms of the, uh, you know, you can open a port, you know, individual ports and so on, but some of these games, some of these online games are incredibly poorly designed, including some of the Microsoft games in terms of requiring all sorts of ports, requiring you to open huge arrays of ports in order to work properly. Hmm. And, uh, and that's sort of shameful. All these people who design games really need to go back and re-engineer it so that you can do, you know, run off one or two TCP ports or UDP ports, and that's it, so that it's easy to run behind a, a NAT firewall or it's easy to open the, the ports for, a, uh, for firewall software. Okay, well, we have a question uh, from, Is this Maxim? let's see, yeah, Maxim, Maxim Karpov. Max, okay, sorry. Yeah, he actually called in with Skype before and uh, wasn't able to get that going. Max Karpov, how are you? I'm pretty, doing pretty good. How about yourself? Great. Can you hear me? Yeah, congratulations. Right. You win a prize. Oh, wow, that's great. You're actually a first-time caller, right? No, I'm just kidding. No, yeah, well, that's true. Uh, how would you like a, uh, a nice uh, box of VisualStudio.net Enterprise Developer compliments of Microsoft? Well, I actually have that. I have MSDN uh, Universal subscription, so that's uh, 
In that case, how would you like Microsoft Flight Simulator 2004, A Century of Flight? In the cool tin box. In the cool tin box. I think that would be great. I think uh, I uh, would enjoy that. Congratulations. We'll get your address and send it to you. Well, I just wanted to say you're doing a great job on the show. Oh, thank uh, you. I really enjoy that, yeah. Thank you. What's your question for Dan? Uh, Well, the question that I had was about cryptography because uh, I think that's the next topic that most developers have to think about while they're developing normal business-to-business applications. Where Mm -hmm. do you start is the first part of the question. And uh, what kind of thought process while developing an application should uh, come along that you take into consideration the cryptography? And what are classes with .NET Framework that we can use for the cryptography? Good question. Excellent, excellent question. And uh, I've actually spent a fair amount of time with cryptography. Uh, I'm not going to claim to be the world's greatest cryptographic expert, especially when it comes to math, but fortunately you don't need to really understand all the math to to do it properly. That's right. The the real, I guess I'd say, I don't know, flaw limitation, something in... uh, the way cryptography is handled in, in .NET and in Windows in general is, is not that it's not there. It's there, it's good, and so on. But the problem is it's too much. They give you all these features, and there's nobody out there who says, okay, here's how you actually use this. Yeah, and, well, that's so true. And, and here's how you use it correctly. You know, exactly. I don't need to know that there are 15 different uh, cryptographic algorithms. I want someone to tell me, here's the one you should use, and here's how you set it up. And here's how you encrypt the file and decrypt the file and you know, do public key, public key encryption and so on. And uh, that makes it harder because you have too many options and nobody tells you how to do it. And that's important because in a lot of cases, I've seen plenty of code that really should have been using some, some form of encryption for, for some of the data involved, some of the different formats. And it's a little bit tough to kind of get in underneath there and do that. And the reality is that a lot of developers are just going to take the lazy option and skip it. There needs to be a simple, easy, straightforward way of even applying like a simple rudimentary, you know, form perfect. Well, the, the, the thing is, there is a simple, easy, straightforward way. It's just nobody tells you what it is. Because mm-hmm. it's all <laughs> hidden with all the complex, convoluted ways with all the millions of options. Exactly. Right. And then right. when you go to see a con- conference uh, talk on security, you'll get all the millions of permutations and not the You get the, the academic response, right. Yeah. Well, that's the thing that I ran to personally when um, I try to dive in with a very simple question. What are my choices to encrypt passwords? Or maybe I don't have to encrypt passwords as I store them in a database. Right. Very and a very simple task, a very simple task that should be, you know, one or two lines of code. You have to read a bunch of articles to really get a grasp of what they're trying to do. You know, a yeah. lot of a lot of the general problem there is because is has to do with the keys, and you you know you can't just make keys up and forget about them. You have to secure them somehow, mm-hmm. and so just in doing any encryption, an, a clear understanding of keys is necessary. See, maybe that's what I need to do. I need to write a simplified cryptography ebook for .NET. There you go. That would, be good. That would actually be good. It, it would fit in. Alongside, I mean, your regular expressions book was extremely good. So, if you had a bunch of these sort of niche topic books, that would be good. I would, I would buy it. I definitely would. So, by the way, I I, I definitely think I'll add that to the list. When uh, when we did uh, when I did the licensing system, I did the cryptography for Desaware's licensing system, and uh, it was a lot of fun because one of the things that uh, it it actually uses a number of different cryptographic uh, techniques. I use, of course, I use the 
Rindell. I'm not sure how to pronounce it actually. Yeah, Rindell or something. Rindell. Symmetric. You pronounce it? I use that algorithm because that's it's very a, good. It's a it's a managed algorithm, which means right. it can run in partial trust. If you go to the uh, to the built-in cryptographic service providers that are built into Windows, uh, a lot of those require full trust to run, and I didn't want to do that because I wanted uh, our clients to run in, in uh, partial trust situations. So and the cool thing about the cool thing I like about that is you can encrypt big chunks of data with with a shared key, and you can transport that key using something like RSA, which is better for small pieces of data. So, you know, on a client, for example, you would generate a uh, Rindahil or whatever that is, the that uh, that symmetric key, encrypt it with a, a public key, an RSA public key, send it to the server. The server decrypts it with the RSA private key, uh, or the key pair, actually, and then they both have that symmetric key that they can use to encrypt and decrypt. And and that is exactly the way that I do it. And in fact, and one of the cool things about taking that approach is it means that our licensing system works. You don't need SSL, right? Exactly. You don't have to, you don't have to use secure HTTP because any all of the information that we care about is encrypted exactly like that in both directions. Uh, another question, another a uh, guy who doesn't have a microphone, but he's got a question. Todd Stewart from Highland, Illinois, asks, uh, "What do you suggest for wireless security?" Yeah, I actually, I actually write about uh, wireless security in my book as well, uh, because it's uh, uh, it, it, here, here's a, here's a, another true story. I had a friend over uh, several months ago, sitting in my living room, and he says, "Dan, it's awfully nice of you to provide free uh, wireless internet access for your guests." Yeah. <laughs> and I say, I don't provide free wireless internet <laughs> no. access to my guests. He was actually using the, uh, the my next-door neighbor's wireless network. Ooh. And uh, what I recommend there is, is pretty simple. You just have to you have to turn on wireless encryption. I was gonna. Su- I thought you were gonna suggest drive around in a car with a laptop and you know. <laughs> <laughs> my my dad did that to me. That's when I actually got into encrypting my wireless network yeah. was when my dad stood outside my building and he said, hey, Rory. And I said, hey, dad. And he said, I'm on your network. And I was like, oh, my God, my dad just hacked me. And I had to. They, they, they call that war driving. Right. Yeah. And it's actually one of the coolest things that uh, that happened. I had a, a number of, of teen reviewers looking at uh, reviewing my book to make sure that I was speaking in a clear enough language and so on. And one of them came up to me afterwards and said, yeah, and I went to my parents and I made them encrypt the wireless network and they were so impressed that they actually, you know, say, oh, what do you know about that? And in fact, they, they hadn't had it encrypted before that. So mm. that, that's what you need to do with wireless. It's not great, great security because, you know, for example, if it's, if it's a business, it's not good enough. Right. And the reason mm-hmm. it's not good enough is because businesses tend to have a fair amount of traffic and they have information they really care about. And you can crack wireless security. It's sort of like in war games. You just sit there and the numbers gradually appear. And there's Excuse software me. out there to do it. So even though it, it says it has you know, 80 or 128-bit encryption, you really don't get that level of protection at all. Uh, my friend Doug Haynes in the studio here just wrote me a little note that says 10 businesses in the town he lives in have open wireless networks. Mm-hmm. So he's actually, he was curious. He went around. Looked and you know stood by the businesses and tried to you know see who was open, and uh, is that the way you get clients, Doug? <laughs> <laughs> right. it's, yeah. it's another one of those user security issues. If it's unencrypted by default, that's what most people are going to use. And Jeff, the editor, suggests turning off SSID broadcast 
if you want to keep war drivers from noticing you. Is that a good idea? SSID broadcast? That, that way you just don't get the list of SSIDs. It helps. Yeah. Right. It helps. I don't think it's I don't think it's all that critical for a home user once you turn on the encryption. Well, well, Todd Stewart will uh, give you a, uh, a, a either a Halo game or an Xbox game here. Thanks for that question. Very cool. And and uh, while I have the ear of the listeners, uh, in a few minutes we're going to be uh, having a trivia contest, and that's for the Windows Server 2003 25 uh, user 25 client access license box. And the trivia question contest is thus, what is the random class name of the week? And you would know this if you were listening early on in the show, because I mentioned it to Rory. So if you know the uh, random class name, and now I'm talking about .NET Framework class name of the week, <laughs> no, not you, Marco, uh, you know, go to www.franklins.net slash call.netrocks. Submit a question, and uh, the first person that we hear to have the right answer right now is going to win that box. Now you think, I, I think you should add like a bonus for anybody who can actually also show you how to implement it asynchronously. Ah, there's a good <laughs> idea. <laughs> Which might count as a hint, but I'm not, not, it's not a very big hint. No. <laughs> oh, Paul Sturgill wants to know if he got something for his question. Absolutely, Paul. We forgot to give you a prize. You definitely get a prize. Um, you can take your pick. Take your pick. So, yeah, this is all, this is all good stuff. Now, when is your book due out, Dan? It's, it's due out in April, and I actually want to, I want to, answer a question that was unasked. Okay. Which is, what does this have to do with .NET? Hmm. That's a very good question. It is, the show is .NET Rocks, however. It is .NET Rocks. Yep. And if you think about everything we've been talking about, we've been talking about security, we've been talking about defaults, uh, and, and thinking about our customers and so on, I want to get beyond the idea that just because we're .NET developers, we are restricted just to technical tricks having to do with .NET. Right. Because we are, before we're .NET developers, we are developers. 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 Problem solvers. That's what we do. We're, we're problem solvers, but we're also software professionals. And I think that means, at least as I was taught it in school, is when you're a software engineer, when you're a software professional, you have a responsibility beyond just learning the latest tricks and learning the latest implementations. Mm -hmm. We have a responsibility to our clients. We have a responsibility to our employers. We have a responsibility to think about economics. Yep. And what I'm essentially saying is, you know, we have a responsibility to society. We have a responsibility to our country. I mean, you know, look at this latest uh, worm that's going around. We yeah. have, you know, what is it, one in Anus. five emails? And the worst part is that supposedly 30 days from now, all these little emails are going to open up and, and ping Microsoft with a ferocity unseen by any more mere mortal. This is, this is a, a huge threat. It's a, it's a threat to national security. It's, threat, it's not just a threat, it's a threat to, to my patience. I am so tired of that thing. That thing made me mad. I'm sorry. I what? had to say that threat to... What thing? You know, oh, that virus? That particular virus. Exactly. Yeah. And in a way, one of, one of, a part of this a part of this book and a part of, you know, my reason for coming on today is sort of an appeal to software developers. And it, it, the book is an appeal to teenagers as, as well. It's a, an appeal to say, look, you know, 
we have a responsibility to fix this problem. And that's not just in terms of when we're doing our own development. It is also in terms of uh, our responsibility to teach everyone, home users. You know, I often hear people just sort of write off home users and say, uh, you know, home users, they just don't have a clue, they're hopeless and so on. No, I'm sorry. That's not good enough. We have a responsibility to help them. We have a responsibility to make sure that the software developed is secure by default, but also usable, which is a challenge. Uh, Part of my appeal to teenagers in this book is say, you know what? If your parents don't get it, do it for them. Right. You know? I would imagine that would open up some economic opportunities for teenagers who are looking to find their way in this economy, you know, uh, who are looking for a niche. Um, you know, security is a hot topic, and it's getting hotter and hotter all the time. And, you know, the grown-ups don't have the time and the energy that the teenagers do, and they understand it. So, Dan, I think you're really on to something here. It beats flipping burgers. Or mowing oh, lawns. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. This is, this is like the modern version of mowing somebody's lawn or washing their car. I, I agree. And... Given that I, uh, I spoke with uh, an adult friend who uh, is a home user, so to speak, and uh, they got infected by a virus, so they brought their computer to an, an unnamed major uh, computer chain who uh, proceeded to take something like three weeks and charge $160 to return the, uh, the computer cleaned of viruses. Hmm. It was also cleaned of all of their software and data. Oh, oh God. <laughs> you heard about that, Doug? Similar situation. Yeah. Huh. Now, I figure uh, a teen ought to be able to do better than that. Just wipe half the data. Wipe <laughs> half the data and charge half the price. Twice as fast. Yep. <laughs> and do it twice as quickly. So, yes, there's, I, I think there's some really good business opportunities there as well. I think, uh, you know, uh, one of the sections in the book where I address the parents at the end is I say, grow your own IT manager. You know, if you've got a teenager at home, put them to work. Let them be the one in the household responsible for all this. Dan, Mark LeFleur from Hudson, Massachusetts, Genesis 4, has a funny story about a bank and password security from last month. Mark, are you there? I am there, although I don't know how loud I am. You're a little noisy, but we can deal with it. What's up? Uh, well, you know, going on point about how the uh, human beings interacting with security tend to break security because it's inconvenient, I recently had to... Uh, do a password reminder type of system with a bank. So they ask you five questions, you know, that's sort of like the mother's maiden name. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. Two of the questions were absolutely classic. It was, when were your parents' anniversary? And the other one was, what's the name of your pet? So I guess, you know, as I called them up and said, I guess people that are either divorced, orphaned, or don't have pets can't, I guess. (laughs) 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 The person told me with a straight face that the best answer to this problem is to just Use the same answer for every single question. Do something what? you'll remember. <laughs> so, so I did so, but now I don't remember what I used for my really and now you're screwed. answer. <laughs> <laughs> now you're pooched, man. You're. <laughs> and I, I go with the other questions were, but they were all in the same line of just things. If they just really, you could probably find out of ten people, one person that could answer five of these questions. Yeah. The rest of us could get two or three of them. Yeah. Mark, this is, a, this is a bank. Mark, do you have a? Do you remember the? Uh, the random class name of the of the week? I do not remember the random class name. Well, I think maybe if you think hard enough, you'll be able to remember it. It has something to do with name resolution and the network domain. Do you remember? Do you remember what that was now? Is it coming back to you? <laughs> I do not remember. Are you a .NET programmer? I am a .NET programmer. Do you have Visual Studio? I do have Visual Studio. 
Do you have uh, Windows Server 2003? I do not. Would you like it? I would love it. Okay, so say the word system.net.dns. Go ahead. Right <laughs> system.net.dns. Hey, oh, that's, that's right. Bravo. That's right. Mark LaFleur gets the big kahuna. I feel like such a winner. <laughs> well, these are the sacrifices we must make on our first show when people can't figure out Skype until the last people, minute. Mark know? called. He didn't even know the answer, and he just won Windows Server 2003. So next time, you know, right. you guys better call in. Okay. Well, thanks a lot. We'll send it to you. And uh, for those who were uh, late on the draw, I'm sorry. We just ran out of time. So, uh, Mark, we'll talk to you later. And, Dan, I want to uh, just follow up with you by saying thank you for coming on the show. And, you know, I think this live Internet talk show thing is something that we should do all the time, don't you? Well, I, you know, we were talking about it. I, I think I have – I think I like the idea. We should do a midnight show. Absolutely. Just, just sort of a hangout and talk about uh, – all sorts of other interesting things. And screw programming. We'll talk about other stuff. There's more to life than just programming. We'll trade recipes. Right. Yeah, right. We'll play a little guitar. We'll smoke some cigarettes. You know, we'll have fun. Well, I don't smoke, but I'll go. Neither do I, thing. but, you know, we can pretend. <laughs> You're going to have to start. <laughs> All right. Well, listen, on behalf of Rory and myself and yep. the listening public and the 80 or so listeners that were on, thanks, Dan. Thanks to Bill Vaughn. Thanks for Peter Blackburn. And, uh, uh, thanks to everybody who helped us get this show off the ground. Look for look for more stuff uh, at www.franklins.net. Come back. Keep checking out my blog at weblogs.asp.net slash cfranklin. And uh, what can I say? Keep on rocking. And, uh, hey, get Skype working. We want you to call next time. <laughs> All right. Take it easy, guys. Drama.